Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and also Q. Hello, Q. Hey, Tina. How are you? I'm excellent today. How are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. It's beautiful. In Boston, the weather is fantastic. I was outside oh. earlier when I went to the gym. It was <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Beautiful outside. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks for the gym bragging. None of us appreciate it. <laughs> Nobody's impressed. <laughs> Just kidding. I hear you, it's girl. beautiful here, too. Oh, it's beautiful here, too. It's gorgeous. Um, so today, we're going to do something a little bit special because it is um, the 50th episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Somehow I've managed to pull off 50 episodes of this podcast. Congratulations, Tina. That's huge. That's a big number. Thank you. 50 is a good number. Thanks. I was so excited when I realized it and I felt like I hadn't, I didn't, I didn't, it snuck up on me. I didn't really think about it. And I think a lot of podcasts do something kind of special for their 50th episode. And I was like, oh my, it's, uh oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> well, so I, I'm happy for you that it is the 50th episode, but at the same time, your podcast is a little intense. It kind of saddens me that there's the 50 horrible nurses and healthcare providers. And there's so many more, though. And there's so many more. So don't worry. There'll, there'll be a lot more of good nurse, bad nurse. Yeah, there will, unfortunately. But you know what? Nurses and doctors and other medical professionals are people. And people do questionable things all the time, whether you're in the medical profession or not. And so we happen to, on this podcast, focus in on the medical professionals because that's what we do. Exactly. This week, we're going to talk about Michael Jackson and the doctor, Dr. Conrad Murray, who was taking care of him or caring for him um, at the time of his death. So we'll talk about Conrad Murray. I thought we could also start off by talking about Michael Jackson himself a little bit because he yeah. is, I mean, he was 50 years old, which is a complete coincidence that he was 50 at his death. And this is our 50th episode. I yes. swear I didn't do that on purpose. It just happened. You actually just pointed that out to me. <laughs> So Michael Jackson was 50 in 2009 when he died. And so that was 10 years ago. So a lot of our listeners are in their 20s and even younger because they're nursing students or new grads. And I would think that maybe some of them, I I would think most of them know know who he is. Everyone knows who Michael Jackson is. They know who he is, but maybe not uh, be completely familiar with his background. Um, And really- That's a good point. Yeah, the- the good part of his life. So I, I would, I'd like to talk a little bit about, because I would think that a lot of our listeners probably own, if they remember things about him, they remember kind of the, the end of his life and toward, yes. toward the end, the last years, and they were not his best. I don't, I, you know, I think that there was a lot of struggles and things he was accused of and all of that stuff that really tainted his overall, um, Persona. you know, yeah. Yeah, no. So, um, I, they, they, I think yeah, you that's a, such a good point because when I when when I was looking like like looking all about the the stuff up, like mm-hmm. I think people's current like perspective of Michael Jackson, people's relationship with Michael Jackson is so different than what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, no, it's just very very different depending on how old you are, when you grew up and what was the music you were listening to growing up. Did you listen have you ever listened to any of his music? Yeah, no. So I moved to America when I was 6. And in South Africa is where I was born. Oh my gosh, six-year-old Oh my gosh. The most adorable thought just popped into my head. Oh, Lord. Well, good. Um, But yeah, when when I was in South Africa, all of my memories of the music in South Africa was, it was like traditional. And if it wasn't Mm -hmm. traditional, it was all Michael Jackson. Like that was, like it was like either traditional African music or Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson is my history of music, um, my memory of music when I think of South Africa. So I grew up listening, loving, adoring Michael Jackson. Wonderful. So you can really appreciate his talent um, for writing music and for performing and dancing. And he just really, when I think of him, because I grew up listening uh, to Michael Jackson when he was actually performing. (laughs) And we ain't going to go there, okay? But <laughs> um, I was absolutely low-key obsessed with him. I mean, I had posters on my walls. He was just like, was just my absolute favorite entertainer. Yeah. Loved him so much. I was just completely just infatuated. Um, when in the time of like Billie Jean and Beat It and, you know, the Thriller album. And so 
that when I see pictures of him at that time, I just feel like that's who he really was. And somehow yes. he just kind of got off, way off track at some point. Exactly. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk about him and, and honor him a little bit because he is the victim in this story, even though some people may, whatever people's opinions are of him, he's the victim. And so I just want to talk about him a little bit. Let's. So Michael Jackson, he was actually one of 10 children and they were all very, very talented, musically talented. They a lot, well, he's had sisters who were into acting as well. And so they, I guess they got a lot of their musical talent from their dad, Joe Jackson, who he was a guitarist and he was, I guess, in a band, but he had to work to provide for his family. So he had to do work as a crane operator, but then in his off time, he really started pushing his sons when he realized the talent that they had. He started pushing them to, you know, some parents do that. They want to live vicariously through their children and they oh, push yeah. them, you know, so that maybe Dude, I they, think most parents do that. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think it's probably, it would probably be hard not to. So he was born in Gary, Indiana. That's that was kind of his childhood, and they started like just the five of the the five of them: Jackie, Jermaine, Randy, Tito, and Michael were the Beautiful. five. Yes, 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 yes. He also had Rebby, who I'm guessing is maybe the the oldest. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. And then Latoya and Janet were his sisters. Janet was extremely talented as well. Yes, she was. Yeah. La Latoya uh, did some different things. She, I don't remember her having a whole lot of success. Um, and then Marlon. But the Jackson Five, what they were just this amazing little group. They did a lot of choreographed music. So they would go on TV and do their little acts, or you know, their songs. And then Michael Jackson was like, he was like five years old. He was very, very young and just adorable. So he, it was sort of like everybody was kind of looking at him because he was just so over the top, talented and yeah. full of energy and just completely uninhibited. He just would do <laughs> whatever. And so he was just amazing and very, very talented dancer. So his body would just do all these weird things and just flow am amazingly. And he was like that from a very, very young age. And he had a voice of an angel. I mean, like, mm -hmm. like if you listen to Jackson 5, it, mm -hmm. it blows, like it still to this day blows my mind that Michael Jackson was as young as he was when he's singing the songs that he's singing. It's like, it's, it's breathtaking how amazing of an artist Michael Jackson was and how young he started to make and produce, I mean, sing these uh, amazing songs. Just mm -hmm. fantastic. All timers. Like, some of the greatest music of all time coming out of a, like a seven, eight-year-old kid. It's, unheard, it's unheard of. It really is. And he was connected with uh, Diana Ross early on and she would end up being a really key person in his career through the years. And she just had a lot of influence on him and just sort of helped, helped them get their start. And the Jacksons released their third album in 1978 and it was called Destiny. In 1979, he released a solo album called Off the Wall, and that actually helped their group sales. So he didn't necessarily break off from the group. And then in 1983, he mm -hmm. did his final tour with his brothers. He did some duet projects with Paul McCartney. Uh, there was a song in 1982 called The Girl Is Mine. Mm. Paul McCartney, of course, is one of the Beatles. In 1982, he released his sixth solo album. I mean, that sounds like, because he just released his first one in 78. Yeah. And then he, 1982 was a six. So by the, by this time, yeah, he was this album, out. Yeah. he really was. This album was amazing. So this album, of course, is Thriller, the best selling album in history, generated seven top 10 hits. It stayed at the top of the charts for 80 weeks. Wait, that's that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's unheard of. It held the number one spot for 37 weeks. It was oh my just God. right. Oh my God. I mean, it, it it was it just dominated. Took over everything. the world. It really did. The music is amazing on that album. If you haven't heard it, <laughs> um, <laughs> you haven't lived. I mean, like you literally. I mean, it's kind of 
It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So the music that's on that album, if you just listen to the first song to the end, every single song is amazing. It's wonderful. He is just such a talented songwriter. But I also would recommend if, you, if you're if you not familiar with him to go on YouTube and watch the videos for some of these oh, yeah. songs because oh, yeah. unbelievable. The song Thriller, the video for that is so cool. It's Fantastic. awesome. I feel like and, some of these young kids with the, like the CGI might think it's fake, but like you just have to respect it for when it was made because like yes so i have Mm -hmm. i have recently watched a lot of um michael jackson and um Mm -hmm. yeah so obviously you might think it's fake but it is just fantastic yeah it's fantastic it's It's not it's it's from 19 it's from the early 80s so 80s yeah it's from the from the early 1980s so it that you know back then for for the technology you have to look at it you know you can't look at you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's and compare it to <laughs> some movie that was done now. You have to appreciate it for the time, you know. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what you have to do for this as well. So um, super talented. I'll stop talking about that. I would probably talk about that for hours. Do you, before um, you stop, do you have a favorite mm-hmm. song? From um, from that album or from... From any, like, do you have a favorite Michael Jackson song? I guess I'm going to have to say Billie Jean just because... Oh, it really is, yeah. I mean, it's really hard because if if you played any Michael Jackson song, I just like completely. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. you know, just like, and I can't stop talking the whole time, and I'll I'll aggravate everybody to death. Like, can you just believe his voice? It's just amazing. <laughs> I mean, listen to that. Listen to those words. He's a genius. Amazing. It was, amazing. and then they're just looking at me like, shut up. But, can you shut up and let me listen to it? I can't hear it. <laughs> but you know, I, I, Billie Jean, I, the song, like the beat of it, and the, it's got so much energy yes. and good grief, crazy. And I love to watch the video. So I, I would have to say that one. There's some other more obscure songs that people probably wouldn't know, but... I really do think hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like I've believed this since I, I've ever listened. I think PYT might be like his... <gasps> I know people love that song, but it might be one of his most underrated songs because I don't think it's enough so people good. love it. I think oh. Man in Man in the Mirror, every time I listen to it, a tear comes down my face. And like, he just all of his music. It's just, you're right. We could talk about this forever, but there's just so many songs. And be, and like you said, Tina, super important for all of you guys out there. Yes, go listen to his music if you haven't appreciated it. But you really, really need to watch the music videos, the performances, because his dancing as a kid was everything to me. Like as someone who enjoys dancing, literally everything to me. I love dancing. And that's why I have, I also really, 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 really like the way you make me feel and beat it. And all of these songs, it was, I love Michael Jackson. Yes. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, Black and White is just a genius song. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Just and, then, and and black and white has it's like a movie. The music video is like a movie. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I love all of it. All of it. I love all of it. Yeah, he does a lot of his videos like that. The the song Bad. Mm-hmm. The the video to that song is really good as well. And he tells tells a lot of stories in his videos. And he, it, usually there's some sort of social you know message exactly. um, in there a lot. He was uh, he very much like to try to teach people. And he wasn't perfect, obviously, but he, you could tell in his heart, he had these visions of the way society should be. And that came out in his music. So you can't deny, no matter what, if you think he was guilty of whatever, you know, the things that he was accused of, you can't deny because of the words that he wrote, that there was something inside of him that he understood, like the big picture of the way society should be. Yeah. Yeah. It was obvious that it was coming from a good place, like all mm -hmm. of his music. It was always coming from a good place. Right. In 1985, he co-wrote a song called We Are the World. Are you familiar with the song? Oh my God, of course. Yes. I showed Levi that song maybe, I don't know, a couple of months ago. When we were in the car, because I said something about it. He, Levi loves Michael Jackson because oh, him. I, of course, you know, have to teach He's him all about kid. Michael Jackson. <laughs> yes. And so he loves, he knows all about Michael Jackson and his music. And so we're driving down the road one day and I said something about that song and he didn't know what I was talking about. And I was just about had a fit like, <laughs> what? How did you get to be 15 years old? And I 
somehow have failed you so horribly right. as a mother. I felt so bad. I'm like, <laughs> we are pulling over right now, mister. No, I we really did. And I sat there and looked it up on YouTube. Good and I, I was like, you have to see the video. And so I played it for him. And he was, of course, like cheesing over there like, mom, this is... <laughs> 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 yes, mom of the year. That's the, those are mom goals right there. That's what you need to do, parents. Take notes. Take he notes. really liked it, though. He liked it, but he was just like, "This is so cheesy." <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Because <clears throat> that song, what he did, it again. I, I, the best word I can use to describe Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson that I know and remember from his earlier years, was genius. I don't. Yes. There's not a better word to describe him. He just. The man was just amazing. And he teamed up with Lionel Richie to write this song, who also, we could go there, and that's crazy. He, he's amazing. But then there were a lot of of uh, celebrities, singers, songwriters on this in this video that sang on this song, including Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner, huge, huge names. Kenny Rogers was on there, Cindy Lauper. So when you listen to the song, you can hear little uh, bits and pieces of all of these people's voices because they take turns singing the lines to the song. It's a really kind of a long song, and they, yeah. but they, it is, it's a beautiful song. The sentiment is amazing. They raised money for the children in Africa. Mm-hmm. He raised an insane amount of money, and like all of that song was about feeding the children in mm-hmm. what is known like he Africa and all of Africa, right? So. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And just to double down on the point of how amazing that song was, like, you mm-hmm. have to understand, it's like, in, if in 2019, it's like, if they had a song with, like, Taylor Swift and Beyonce and, like, um, Ed Sheeran and, like, all of the biggest stars you can think of right now all coming right. in to make one song, it's like the megastars of megastars um, all on a song. Um, it, it was, yeah, fantastic. And all for a good reason. All for a very, very good reason. So then he, in 1991, he released his album Dangerous, and that was the one that had black or white on it. And all all along, he, through these years, he was just, every album that he released was very successful. Oh, yeah. The songs were amazing. He was just really super talented. He would tour and just, he was just very, very successful, just a for people who are listening, if you don't understand this for whatever reason, he, I don't know that there, is there someone today who really would, no. you could equate? No. <laughs> so, so just obviously I'm biased, right? But like, I think on a talent level, the answer mm-hmm. is definitely no, right? Because I don't know anyone who started making songs when they were that young, Jackson 5 level, all the way yeah. through his like best years and continuing, right? Just on a talent level, no. On like a... Yeah. Money level, star level, maybe, but like social media, it changes everything. So I just a blanket statement for me is no, but um, he was like the biggest mega star ever. Like it, there's just no comparison. I, I have to agree. I was just sitting here trying to think and I, I really can't think of anyone. If you guys think of something, go, you know, well, send like, me a wait, message. I have to ask I you because I've never, I was never a big fan, but were the Beatles close? I feel like the Beatles were like... The way people talk about the Beatles have you seen is like the, movie the way yesterday? people. I have not. So that's the one that just came out, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a new movie. I, I I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. I dare you. I dare you to watch okay. that movie and then come back and tell me you're not a Beatles fan. Okay. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> done and done. Then he he released a, an album Love and he did song. a song called "You Are Not Alone." Mm-hmm. It did. Ha- so it did have a couple of hits, but as far as on Michael Jackson level, it didn't quite didn't compare. Live up. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, and there was a that was sort of when a lot of the controversy start started to take hold, I guess, um, with some accusations. And I really, honestly, just don't want to get into it because I don't, I don't. He's he's gone, so there's really he he did he was he went through a trial and was acquitted. I know you had a, there were a lot of accusations and some people and we, you know, we talk about people on this podcast who go through trials and are acquitted and we're like shocked and we we convict them in the you know the court of podcasting Public. but um, podcast opinion. <laughs> but I mean, at the same no, I time, I, I don't feel you. like this is one of those situations where there's just overwhelming evidence. Yeah. To you know, so I don't feel like it's that way, and I don't. So I don't want to go there. That's fair. 
HBO so, went there, so they'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then that was sort of when he did start to kind of uh, decline. Fade away. Uh, yeah. Um, he was married at one point, and I'm just to sort of like get uh, sort of wrap up his life, I guess, because we're kind of getting into the era where most people are kind of going to be, be familiar with with who he was. He got married to Elvis Presley's daughter, Lisa Marie, for a very short time. He had children by this woman who worked at a doctor's office that he went to. He had a couple of children and there was a controversy surrounding all of that. There's, he's just, he was pretty much just in the news the last, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah you know, of his life, about all sorts of different things, dangling his baby over a, va- a balcony and wearing surgical masks out in public. And have you seen that? I'm going to digress again. I'm so sorry. Have you seen that uh, meme that goes around? It's on nursing chat groups and it has this woman with a surgical mask on out in public. And the meme says something like, I can't stand it when people wear surgical masks out in public. Like, we get it. You're a surgeon. <laughs> Like people are trying to like brag about being a surgeon, so they wear their surgical masks out in public. Like stuff like that, that kind of humor it gets me to my core. I laughed so hard when I saw that <laughs> that I was like, this is, I love this. These people, it's so clever and so funny. And then I start reading down in the comments, you would not believe the people that did not understand that that was a joke. And people oh are like, God. hey, I have to wear surgical masks in public. I mean, people have allergies. Oh, Jesus, Lord, relax. It's I'm a like, meme. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I digress. So yeah. that's Michael Jackson. That's kind of where he was toward the last few years of his life. He was really struggling. He struggled with insomnia. He was in a lot of pain in the 80s. He was in a burn accident. He was actually filming a Pepsi commercial and there was like fire in the background and his hair caught on fire and he sustained burns, which of course, as we we know as nurses, that's an extremely painful injury. So that happened. And then he also, a bridge collapsed at some point when he was on tour, when he was, I'm not sure, I think he was rehearsing. He injured his back when that happened. So he dealt with a lot of chronic pain and he also struggled with insomnia. I mean, I know this is like something that everyone talks about, but specifically in like the black culture, the fact that he transitioned from black to white, people mm-hmm. say that. So uh, according to the Jackson family, he had white vitalic. I can never say the word, but like a condition that was turning his skin white. So he just decided to go with the whole transition. But that was also another controversy and something else that he was dealing with medically. That's true. He, if you look at pictures of him from when he was a child, his facial features, his skin tone, everything about him was African American. He was there. There was no yeah, light were black. skin. He was one hundred percent black. One hundred percent. And as he got older, not only though did he seem to sort of be his skin was getting lighter. His nose, where he was having surgery on his nose, which was yeah. really bizarre <laughs> as well. Then and then this is just. I feel like this was all, I, I, I guess I shouldn't probably be trying to like diagnose him or anything. I, I really don't mean to do that, but it, I felt like there was some mental illness going on with him. Of course. Oh you God. know, where he just you know. didn't, he was not, he wasn't happy. Wasn't happy yeah, with himself. No. You know, <laughs> that course. song, Man in the Mirror. I don't think yes. he was happy with who he saw when he looked in the mirror. He was trying to change how he looked, but he... He dealt with a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And he did transition over over the years and his skin did seem to get lighter, but I did read also, like you said, that he had some sort of condition that made his skin sort of blotchy looking. And so rather than live like that, he chose to somehow go through some process that lightened his skin. I don't know. But yeah, that, that was always a big, you know, topic of in the media, you know, they like to to latch on to stuff like that. And it is obvious when you look at older pictures, you can't deny that, that there was some sort of problem he had with his identity. And In the black community, that was huge. Like yeah. a lot of black people felt betrayed. Like, and like the thing is like, we really, like we really, I, I say we because yes, I, I am right now, I'm speaking for all black people because I think mm-hmm. I'll take that responsibility. But <laughs> um, okay. a lot of, a lot of people was just like, 
they wanted to believe that the condition is real, and that was the reason he switched over, and not just because he thought he looked better with white skin, right? Mm. So, because if he did it without having a condition, it just hurts. It like it hurts. It hurts. He was the biggest star. He was black. Everyone was proud of him, specifically from the black community, and him mm-hmm. transitioning just it hurt. So, do you think that he did that? Do you, do you think that people who are hurt by that feel like he didn't want to be? black anymore like I mean uh, and I don't mean that like literally skin I mean like (laughs) he wanted to give up his black card oh no 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 so I don't want to associate myself (laughs) because I don't feel like he did that no 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 see that's OJ OJ wanted to give up his black card Michael Jackson just wanted to look white Michael I think like Michael Jackson thought he looked better white but he was all about helping the black culture he was in the black community his entire family was black so that's what I thought yeah, yeah no so he went through all that, and and now he is struggling with with chronic pain, insomnia, and so he starts seeing a lot of doctors to help him with this. What would happen is he kind of was sort of doctor hopping, I guess. That's what people do. They go to the doctor, they get medicine to help them, you know, with pain or or whatever. The doctor kind of gets to the point where they're like, "You're going to have to get off of this. You can't stay on this forever." So they stop prescribing them and then they just go somewhere else. They go to a different doctor. Yeah. And when you have that kind of money that Michael Jackson has, you can go mm -hmm. to as many doctors as you want to get all Mm -hmm. of the medications as you want. And when you live in Hollywood, you know, like it's like it's like basically open secrets. Like I want this kind of medication. Who which doctor do I go to? Who can I call? And then people just write prescriptions. Right. Yeah. So that was going on. And then he met Conrad Murray in 2006. Hey, Q, we're in a commercial, so we got to talk fast. Let's do it. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it when you started getting all those texts and emails? Sadly, Tina, yes, I have. Okay. Well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests, and you can even see the pay. Sounds too good to be true, Tina. Well, the best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well, they do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them where to sign up because we're running out of time here. Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit, and we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website so they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency, they're a movement. So Conrad Murray, they met in 2006, but we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about him and his background. He He was born on February 19th in 1953. He grew up with his grandparents until he was about seven. And then he lived with his mother in Trinidad and Tobago. And his father, Raul Andrew, was um, a physician. And I guess they just moved around a lot because by the time Conrad Murray was like 20 years old, because you did that amazingly hard math of figuring out how many years was between 1953 and 1973 that I just couldn't do. That's too hard. I don't know how to count by tens. But yeah, when he was like 20 years old, he moved to Houston, Texas. And that's where his dad was working as a physician um, there. And he started going to Texas Southern University and graduated magna cum laude with um, a degree in pre-med. And then he ended up, yeah, no kidding. And then he ended up going to, uh, moving to Nashville, Tennessee, which I'm very familiar with. And you are too, a little bit. Yeah, I sure am. He went to Meharry Medical College, which is a very prestigious, predominantly African-American medical college in Nashville. 
lots of great history with that college. And you just asked me, because we were talking about it last night, if um, if it was closed. And then I was like, well, goodness, I hope not. I didn't look up, up to see if it was. I just haven't been in Nashville in a long time, like as a person that lives there, that would be knowing yeah. what's going on. I feel like I feel like if it did close, it'd be big news. I, it's oh, yeah. Chances are it's still open. Yeah. I, I, we say this every time we do one of these stories, but all of these guys, all of these bad doctors, bad nurses, bad healthcare providers, they always have such a crazy good out like upbringing they always are described as like really good people with really good outlooks and really smart and it's always crazy to me that people that start out so great you know end up doing not so great things right yeah i I, who knows i obviously it has to do with integrity and ethics and and all that but he did complete a cardiology fellowship at the university of arizona and then in 1990 he opened a private practice in las vegas and then um, in 19 or in 2006 he founded the acres homes heart and vascular institute in houston and then that's when he met michael jackson in 2006 in las vegas when he treated his daughter paris when she got sick and he hired him to be his exclusive personal physician before he went on tour in 2009. Yeah. A little bit of a mistake there. Bad decision. That's a bad decision, right? Yeah, you can sort of assume that maybe there was some under-the-table things going on with maybe helping Michael with his insomnia and chronic pain issues, maybe. Almost, most definitely. Most definitely, yeah. Who needs a personal doctor, though? Like, I feel like that's intense, right? That's super mm-hmm. crazy to have a personal doctor. Yeah, it it does seem to be really intense if you have the money and you have chronic issues. Um, I guess, especially, yeah, because he's probably traveling every day all over the world. So he does need someone that knows his stuff to be with him, I guess. But at the same time, I think you're right, because if you have your own personal doctor, you get to get mm-hmm. the medications you get to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He start, He just started working for him in May of 2009. And he died in 2009. So this was not a very long relationship um, as far as him being his physician. Yes. So he, Murray himself, just kind of given a little bit of uh, background and insight to, into who he is. He fathered seven children by six different women. He was married to Blanche, his second wife, who he met at medical school. I guess we were going to assume she's she's a physician, maybe? Yeah, maybe. He had some money problems. He was helping um, a, a woman pay her rent. So <laughs> Yo, I'm reading this. And I'm no, like, because cause what's his name? Is, uh, what's his name? Conrad, Conrad Murray was living his best life. I mean, he had, he talk about promiscuous, talk about like being wild and crazy. This dude was all over the place and he wasn't very smart with the money at all, at all, at all. Uh, no, he really wasn't. He didn't make the best decisions. He met this, this woman, Nicole Alvarez at a gentleman's club. I love that title. It's just beautiful. (laughs) Bunch of, you know, you know what I would name that? We don't want to go there. We don't talk like that on this podcast. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) It's Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Tina. You know what? Let's go. We want to talk about the women that work in these places and the the living conditions and their lives and what it does to them. Let's go there. How about it? (laughs) Anyway, Nicole was at least getting her rent paid by Conrad and she had a baby, Che Giovanni Murray, in uh, March of 2009. So he had just had a baby. Yes. And... I guess he was at risk for losing his medical license because he wasn't paying his child support to one of his children. So you can lose your medical license for this. I wonder if it's because if you are involved in any sort of like what would be considered unethical, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's related to medical issues. If you're just seen as someone who doesn't make good ethical decisions, you're not, they don't want you practicing. But it did, it did say specifically in California. So maybe in, from state to state, it can differ what mm-hmm. can cause you to lose your license. But yeah. at the same time, you guys have to remember, he had what, six different ch- kids? No, seven mm-hmm. kids from six different people, right? right? So he's not paying his child support to a lot of different people. And he's also helping pay rent for some lady that he met at a gentleman's club. So this dude is all over this place crazy. Just all over this place, just wild. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, he he really got himself into a lot of, you know, just huge mess. And someone who should have been, you know, uh, did a fellowship in cardiology, he should have been making several several hundred thousand dollars a year. Yes. He obviously was not able to keep up because he was living so far above and beyond anything that he was able to make because of all of these responsibilities that he was just shirking, apparently. Um, so he, he was in debt. Uh, obviously had lots of legal and financial problems. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, Michael Jackson (laughs) (laughs) was getting ready to go out on his um, final tour. Was it a final tour? Well, it it sounded like a final tour, even the way he made it sound. Because, I mean, the title of the tour was This Is It. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like a final tour if there ever were a final tour, right? Yeah, and entertainers will say, this is our last tour and whatever, and then they do another one. So (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But he did sort of embark on a new tour called This Is It, and he started rehearsing for that and preparing for it and, and battling his addiction to prescription drugs while this is going on. And then Conrad Murray going along for the ride, helping him get through it. I'm sure Michael Jackson was paying him very well. And you can imagine if he is needing more and more and requiring more and more medication to help him sleep, Conrad Murray is not going to want to give up this gig of working for Michael Jackson. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing he probably was willing to pretty much do whatever Michael Jackson wanted him to do. And it seems like that's maybe what he did. Yeah, because you have to, like, if you look at the big picture, Conrad Murray is in all of this financial issues, financial trouble. Mm -hmm. Here comes the biggest pop star in the history of the world. He wants Mm -hmm. you to be his personal doctor. And Michael Jackson is asking for all of these hardcore, heavy meds, right? So Conrad Murray, who needs the money that Michael Jackson's paying him, he's going to say yes to everything Michael Jackson's asking, even though it goes against any legal situation, any medical journal, whatever. It's, he's going to just say yes to anything that Michael Jackson asked for because he's paying him really good money in a situation where Conrad Murray needs money. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, it's just, that's the reason I'm sure they're not going to, they don't want some someone practicing medicine who is in a compromised position, exactly. who's you know willing to make, because this very reason. So Michael Jackson started exhibiting some odd behaviors, according to some of the staff that was around him. He was, he seemed, you know, like he would get the chills and he lost weight. He, in fact, they described him as emaciated. He seemed almost like scared. Keep repeating, why can't I choose? And I don't know that anybody understood why he was saying that, but he just seemed to be really struggling physically and emotionally and mentally from the people around him. So he took a lot of Xanax and propofol to help him sleep at night. And that sounds really odd because propofol, we're used to that being used for putting patients to sleep for surgery and being monitored um, continuously. But we had another story that where, uh, that talked about propofol being used for migraines. So I don't know that it's completely out of, uh, the realm of possibility that you could use propofol. I don't know. No, Tina, like, yeah, you're being so kind to this. You know, like propofol is like, it's like a heavy, hardcore. I mean, you, you use propofol when you, they putting you to sleep so they could cut into your body. Not so yeah. you can, you don't use propofol like melatonin. That is insane. It is insane. No. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. It really is. He reportedly would um, tell, would, would, would refer to propofol as his milk. Yeah, you don't want that. Mm, and it is white. It has fat in it. So it's white, the mixture. So I guess that's why maybe he called it that. Okay, so he went to rehearse at the Staples Center around 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, June 24th. According to the people that were kind of around him at the time, he was complaining of laryngitis, but he was sort of joking about it. So I don't know if he really was having laryngitis because they they were thinking he wasn't being serious about it. He was kind of joking about having laryngitis. Uh, they said he looked great, had a lot of energy, and the rehearsal went past midnight. And I, when you watch that documentary, um, this is it documentary. I lo- it's so you get to see these moments of him 
rehearsing. And one thing that really stands out to me about that documentary is him. There was one point where he was trying to time for something for the music to start right at a certain time. And he was trying to explain to the people who were kind of running the, the crew that was, you know, starting the music or turning on the lights or whatever it was they were doing. And they that I remember the person saying to him, well, in order for you to know when to start, we'll need to do like they he, they were trying to help him by giving him some sort of clue at, like a visual cue or something like that and he was just like oh, no 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 I'll know and and I, f- <laughs> I feel like he just had something inside of him that just it, he really did he just he yeah. knew exactly what to do when to do it don't worry about me I've got this you just do things like I tell you to kind of thing and he was super <laughs> exactly. like respectful and and really nice to people when he you know when he interacted with them but yeah. I just remember thinking yeah I bet you do he was a born um, performer he knew his thing mm-hmm. And right. yeah, and also, by the way, you guys should check out that. Uh, this is a documentary, great documentary. Mm-hmm. So on that night, he went home, and well, okay. So the way that I guess th- these things always have two different versions. They have the version of the person who doesn't want to get in trouble, <laughs> <laughs> and then they have the version that, as the police start looking at all the evidence, comes they out fight. exactly, exactly. So what he said is the. Um, the, the next morning, Conrad Murray, he went into the bedroom and found him in bed. He wasn't breathing. He had a weak pulse, but he was still warm. And he tried to revive him for five to 10 minutes. And he realized, realized that he was going to have to call for help. There wasn't a landline in the house. And he wasn't able to use a cell phone to call 911 because he said he didn't know the exact address. And he no, Tina, also, no, 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 Tina. Mm-hmm. We can't, you can't just slide by, by that. When I mm-hmm. read that, I was like, this is, that's insane. You can't yeah. not call 911 and tell them the reason you're not going to call 911 is because you don't know the address. You call 911, you let them know what's going on. If someone is, has a very weak pulse or is pulseless or is not breathing, whatever the situation, that is not, not an excuse. You can't, you can't say that. Was he not Especially at his as home? Of the doctor. Was he, was he not... Was Michael Jackson not at his house, like at his home? Yeah, he, exactly, exactly. So you could have just said Michael's. Like, you're um, right. I'm at Michael Jackson's house. <laughs> exactly. Not knowing the address is a BS excuse. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. He said he tried to call security, but he didn't get an answer. Ran downstairs, yelled for help, uh, told a chef to bring security up to the room. And then about 30 minutes passed. Security made the phone call. The LA Fire Department spokesperson said that the 911 call came in at 12.21 p.m. And they got to Jackson's house at 12.26 and saw that he was not breathing. Murray was described as using non-standard CPR techniques on Jackson. Now, I'm going to say something here because when... hmm, I might edit this out later... (laughs) But I'm going to go ahead and say it and then I'll remove it if I want to. But I have had experiences over the past four years that I've been a nurse where I, there were uh, physicians in a situation where a patient had coded. And in fact, there was a situation where a patient coded in front of me and the doctor walked in just doing the rounds. This patient had just gotten to the floor from a skilled nursing facility. They were brought, and this is not even where I work now. It was somewhere, it was the previous place I worked. But they were brought from an outside facility and for like reduced level consciousness. And so she completely went unresponsive. I could not feel a pulse. And I was brand spanking new, like, brand spanking new. This was the first time that I'd ever, that this has ever happened, had ever happened to me personally. And the doc, a doctor, her doctor that was assigned to her came in to assess her for the first time. And when he walked in, I was like, she's coding. And I grabbed the code button and pulled it. And this is at night because I work night shift at a small hospital. There's not a lot of staff. So just because you hit the code button doesn't mean all <laughs> crap breaks loose all at the same time. It's you still just standing there by yourself, pretty much. He turned around and walked out, and I said, "Excuse me, get back here." And Are you serious, Tina? I'm serious. And so he came back, and I was doing compressions when he, like, I dropped the bed, was doing compressions, and I said, "You have to help me." And so what? Yeah. 
And so he was like, oh, okay. And so the one of the other nurses at the nurse's station brought the code card and he had to run the code. And it was obvious the reason that he walked out was because he wasn't comfortable running the code. And I guess it's, it's just because he doesn't do it a whole lot. He probably just sees patients in the hospital is not in those types of situations, situations where yeah. he has to run a code. So he was afraid probably to make a mistake or, you know, not uh, just not, not handle it correctly and didn't, didn't want to be put in that position. But I couldn't believe he turned around and walked out. So the reason I said that is that Conrad Murray probably has not had to administer CPR in a very long time. Yeah, he he owned a private practice. He hasn't been, he, no one said he was acute. He is a cardiovascular doctor. So, mm-hmm. eh, but at the same time, Tina, we're talking basic, basic CPR here. We're not talking running a cold, pushing epi. We're talking basic CPR. I mean, this is the bare bones. We expect like lifeguards to know this. We can't. Tina, I mean, really, Mr. Murray, you really going to give him a break on this situation? I can't. I no, can't. I'm not necessarily giving him a break. No, I'm not. But I'm just saying that I, because I think a lot of people who aren't medical or maybe even nurses who haven't, ex, who are new enough that they haven't experienced this, that they don't, you know, maybe don't understand that doctors, once they kind of get into their routine of doing the their specialty and get out of the habit, you know, or they have not experienced, yeah. then they probably wouldn't be comfortable running a code. You know, they would, it's just, and I don't it's not blame something them. you do. Yeah, no, I yeah, don't I, blame I'm not them. blaming them. Yeah, you, know, you know, the fact that he was doing compressions while he was still on the mattress and not trying to put something, you know, firm underneath him or get him to the floor so that he could do quality compressions and whatever the other things, you know, were that he was doing. I don't, I just. Oh yeah. So, so for that, that I consider like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you should have done all that stuff. But if he was doing compressions while Michael Jackson was on the bed and he didn't put him on the floor because you needed the hard surface, that, yeah, I'm fine with, yeah, if that was, like, if that's what you're saying to give him a break on, I'm all, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because even if I walked into a, a, someone's room and they were on a bed, I would jump on that bed and start giving him compressions. I might forget to put that patient on the floor. That's something mm-hmm. I can respectfully say. That's yeah. fair. It's a, an emergent situation. You're not really clearly thinking about all of the pl- policies and procedures to perfect CPR. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, uh, I I have started compressions on a patient before that didn't have a backboard under them. And you made it, you feel it. You know that you're not oh, giving yeah. quality compressions yeah. and uh, because you don't have a backboard immediately. So you have to wait for them to get there with a the code cart and you slide it underneath them. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. So he... he says that he administered CPR and that then the paramedics performed CPR for 42 minutes at the house. And his attorney says that Michael Jackson had a pulse when he was taken out of the house and that when um, he was put into the ambulance, but the LA fire department official said that the paramedics found him in full cardiac arrest and that they did not observe a, a change in his status en route to the hospital. Yeah, no, and I obviously don't believe... Comrade Murray, because you don't give CPR to someone who has a pulse. So he either needed CPR, had a pulse, or didn't need CPR. I mean, he either didn't have a pulse and needed CPR or had a pulse and, um, did, you know, you know what yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. I, I, yeah, it can't no, be both. Exactly. It can't be both. You can't have a pulse and be have, have been doing CPR for 42 minutes. Can't have it both I, ways. I agree. And... So they did um, attempt, he got to the hospital about 1.14 p.m. They tried to resuscitate him for an hour. Uh, they were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 2.26 p.m., of course, at the age of 50. On your 50th episode. Oh, yeah. This is depressing. It really is. It's because we we started so high, (laughs) just reminiscing on some of his great music. So it's hard to talk about this now, but I hear you. His body was flown by helicopter to the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office, and they did perform an autopsy, of course, and they discovered that he actually died because of propofol intoxication. Mm-hmm. And also lorazepam. Yeah. So his death was ruled homicide, and they started, of course, a full investigation to try to figure out what was going on. They found lots of different medication uh, bottles with different names, like 
fake names on the prescriptions and just just lots of things from different doctors. So they had to investigate everything and everyone. Of course. course. And so they focused um, on five different doctors who had been prescribing drugs to him to try to figure out whether they had a face-to-face relationship and whether they actually treated him and diagnosed him and then prescribed the, you know, the way that you're supposed to, or is this just, are they just prescribing medications because he's Michael Jackson? And yeah, I mean, I think it's very important. So, I mean, for all of those people who are just non-healthcare providers, you, I mean, you, you can't just be prescribed the medication because the doctor knows all. They are specific diagnoses that... Um, require certain medications to be prescribed mm-hmm. for, except for very, very few and far between exceptions. And you can't have all of those exceptions from five different doctors, which is insane. It's just insane. It's insane. Exactly. So then they kind of turned their investigation on to Conrad Murray when an anonymous source reported that he had administered propofol within 24 hours of Michael Jackson's death. And so then they searched Murray's home and office in Las Vegas, and then they really started honing in on him. They, inchar- they charged him with involuntary involuntary manslaughter in Los Angeles. He pleaded not guilty, posted bail, and was released. And then uh, re- the judge did require that he needed to stand trial for involuntary manslaughter. And he also suspended his license to practice medicine in the state of California, which we know by other stories that we've done here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, Hello, Dr. Death, that just because you lose your license to practice in one state doesn't mean you can, can't can go to another state and get your medical license there and do bad things. And I'll also never forget the story we did where the doctor was in jail performing surgery. I know, that's... I feel, like, I feel like some of these, I don't understand like how, who makes these decisions, but it's it's wild. It's wild to me that someone that committed homicide can participate in surgery in prison. <laughs> I know. It really is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it kind of all came out that what, what really, what they really think happened is that Conrad Murray got too comfortable administering this propofol to Michael Jackson. He was requiring something like 50 milligrams of propofol at night to be able to sleep. And that was on top of all of these other benzos that he was getting, yeah. the Xanax, the Ativan, whatever. And so he he's already extremely emaciated and you're putting all this medication into his body to try to help him sleep. Well, then he didn't have anything to monitor him. He's putting him to sleep. I mean, hooking up an IV in his house of propofol, letting it just drip. And also it was reported that there was some text messaging that was going on. And he apparently kind of like stepped away while the propofol was being infused and was like texting and, and that sort of thing, not really paying attention. So he did pass away because of that, and they convicted after the trial was over. They can they found him guilty of involuntary manslaughter, and he was held without bail until sentencing. And he did receive the maximum sentence of four years in prison. But he, he didn't released, stay. Yeah, yeah, he didn't do the all four years. Mm-mm, as they, no, yeah, they never do. Um, The only people that ever do all of the time are just people that they want to stay in jail for whatever reason. I don't know. There's some weird system that goes on there. I don't really understand. He was released on October 28th, 2013 because the prisons are overcrowded in California. And I guess he had good behavior. So I... I think what you mentioned about the propofol and him walking away is super important just because you have to understand that when in an OR or in the medical field when someone is getting propofol, like you literally have a nurse and her her or his job, her only job is to just stare at the monitor and make sure that the patient's alive. So for mm-hmm. someone to be getting an infusion of propofol just to fall asleep with no monitoring and you're on your phone texting, it's insane. It's just, it's it's crazy to me. It's crazy. I know. So that's the story of Conrad Murray. And- yes. Michael Jackson's death. He's a bad doctor. No he's doubt. a wild and he's out there today, like as a free man. <laughs> I don't know if he's practicing medicine though. I hope not. I really, really hope not. But yeah, he's out. He's out. He's out and about. Spent two years in prison mm-hmm. for killing the biggest star in the world. 
We'll talk real briefly about our good doctor. So this, our good doctor this week is Instagram's the hottest doctor saves passengers life on flight. So do you know who we're talking about, Q? Who's Instagram's hottest doctor? <laughs> Just off the top of your head, who would you name if you had an Dr. Mike? This dude is like the bee's knees. The hottest <laughs> doctor. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, he's he's got all the looks, all of the, I don't even know what kind of doctor he is, but I do know his famous on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Very famous. Yeah, celebrity doctor. Yes. It was on a flight to the Holy Land. And so he's 29 years old. They do call him Dr. Mike, like you said. He was voted America's Sexiest Doctor by People Magazine. That's such a good title. That's a great title. Yeah. Right? Like, because uh, being a doctor is like such a prestigious profession. And then also mm-hmm. being the hottest of the most prestigious. It's like, good for you, brother. Good for you. And it yeah. sounds like he's a really good person, which is well, great because not, yeah. you know, some people, as we know, <laughs> he really does sound like he's a great guy. He said he was on the plane. Um, our Dr. Mike, our good Dr. Mike was on this plane heading to the Holy Land. Matt Farako, is that how you would say that? He was 26 years old from Atlanta, Georgia, went into anaphylactic shock two hours into the flight. Yeah. So he was on the plane. He hadn't eaten anything, but he noticed his hands were swelling. And he told the flight attendant that he was feeling, he wasn't feeling well. And the team on the plane asked, you know, obviously, are there any doctors on board? And Dr. Mike stepped up. Stop. I'm sure. Do, do you, you think, think he Dr. like went, Mike? do you think he like looked around like, oh God, please let there be something else? <laughs> You better believe that's what I'd be doing. Like, doesn't everybody? Is there any? Is there literally one no person that doesn't do that for just hell, for half bro. a second? Just for half a second? You you're have just to like pray. You're like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. I think I saw sure. someone's hand up there. <laughs> and then you just like, oh gosh. And then you you stand up. You look around. If you see anybody else jump up, you're like, oh, you got this. Oh, I'll go your do your thing. <laughs> so <laughs> he was. He was actually. So this they were going for. America's Voices in Israel, which is a nonprofit that sends high profile personalities to the Holy Land with a mission to foster a greater understanding of Israel in the United States. Mm. So, and that's according to this article on the New York Post that this what they were on their way there to do. And Faraka says that he felt his throat closing and he said he normally doesn't have allergies. Um, so there wasn't an EpiPen on the plane. That um, sucks. Yeah, that's scary. But uh, really Dr. Is. Mike, he used, there was a, an emergency kit there that allowed him to monitor his vitals. And it also contained epinephrine in it. Okay. So he was able to, it must have been some kit with, in case somebody went into cardiac arrest. Yeah. So he used the epinephrine that was in that kit and was able to administer it to help with the anaphylactic reaction. And then he monitored him the whole time until they were able to get to a safe place. I love this. I love it. I love it. The thing is, I don't know if I would be able to take care of this situation. Mm. Like, of of course, I would try to administer the epinephrine, but I don't know what the doses of epinephrine is in an EpiPen. I'd be yeah. super nervous, mm-hmm. of course. And that's like the doctor's job to know the dosages and all they think. Sure, maybe this is a real basic fact for doctors, but as a nurse, I would be super nervous, right? And good for Dr. Mike, especially... Mm-hmm. I don't know how often you fly, how often you travel, but like you said, Tina, this is the absolute last goddamn thing that you ever mm-hmm. want to happen. You don't want to have to try to save someone's life on a plane mm-hmm. that's thousands of feet in the air. It's just not a, a really good situation. That's that's true. But he he did it did say he struggled a little bit to figure out um, how to adjust the dosage so that exactly. it was appropriate, and then he he administered it, it into his um, leg muscle, and then that helped. Him, I guess, decreased the inflammation. So his airways opened up and he was able to get to a safe place. So it was really, really amazing. I'm just looking at this picture of him on the article. Mm-hmm. I have the same stethoscope. Just, it just it makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> I have the same stethoscope he does. I love it. Oh, awesome. Okay. I'm just trying to find the picture you're talking about. <laughs> it's him in the white coat. Is that the stethoscope the that doesn't have the bell? Like it, it has one, it has only one side that's flat and the other side is just like, it has like, you put, you use your fingers. fingers. Yes. That's I what it. I have. Oh, good. See, I'm telling you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. mine is like, just like, like his black on black on black. Mm-hmm. Mine is too. It. There you go, I, I Tina. Love mine too. 
Mm-hmm. It's a Littman, and I like that one. I like it without the bell because it's. Have you I lost like it yet? Have you lost a stethoscope yet? I have. I haven't lost that one. I lost the very first one. Uh, my very first Littman that I had. My it was a Cardiology three, I think. Oh shoot! Um, that's a that's real expensive. A, yeah, that's a hard one to lose. Yeah. I'm sorry. Someone someone walked off with it. I, I'm not gonna say I lost it, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Tina's Tina's done with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, Q. I think that did it for our fiftieth episode. What do you think? I think it was good. No, I really like that one. I really, I, I do. Michael Jackson is a superstar. So yes, yes. Well, thank you, Q, for joining us here again on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Tell everybody where you, they can find you. Yes, so you can find me at Q the Nurse. Just Q the letter and then the nurse. I have a podcast, YouTube, and Instagram are the big three. But you can find me on any social if you just type in Q the Nurse. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Q? Right. Be a good nurse. You have to be a good nurse or a good doctor <laughs> or a good healthcare provider. All of yeah. them off. Yes. All those things. Mm-hmm.